It is not often that one encounters an opponent of the nearly worldwide holiday dubbed Christmas. It is an area of shared agreement between not only Catholics and Protestants, well, most of them, as will be discussed later, but the secular world at large, although how long that bitter truce will last remains to be seen. However, there are indeed opponents of the holiday. Opponents who have many grounds for opposition. Most attack its supposed pagan roots, which is an argument which has been debunked many times over and does not need to be delved into here, whether in tradition or timing. Some attack the current lens through which Christmas is viewed, which is an argument that does have its validity. Christmas is too commercialized. Christmas does not mean what it should. All this money spending. However, there is a minority group whose method of onslaught is entirely different. Before any attempt at a refutation is made, the argument must first be laid out. And hopefully, in the best possible way. As Aquinas would say, ad primum sic procedure. We should follow practices and traditions from the Bible. Christmas and other modern Christian holidays or festivals are not seen in the Bible. Therefore, Christmas should not be celebrated. To begin the reply to this objection, it is necessary to first unpack what the objector is trying to say. The objection is obviously based on the erroneous belief of sola scriptura. However, beyond that, the objector is attacking celebration of any sort of feast or holiday as being contrary to scripture. The objector sees no motivation for holidays being observed by Christians, even holidays commemorating scriptural events. The belief of scripture alone has been refuted much more thoroughly by more learned men in other locations. A different way of parrying this blow is what is needed to prove the following two points. First, Christmas and other holidays are not contrary to scripture. Second, there is indeed motivation for observing Christmas and other holidays. In order to prove the first, it must be answered, is there positive evidence for any sort of holiday or feast celebration in Scripture? In order to prove the second point, it must be answered, why should we observe Christmas and other feasts, for example, the year-long calendar that Catholics follow filled with solemnities, feasts, memorials of all sorts? In general, there seems to be many good reasons for celebrating some sort of feast or holiday. Most of the human populace utilizes New Year's to form resolutions, in order to amend their lives for the better. I will start working out. I will read more. I will eat healthy. I will not use technology as much. I will spend more time with my family. Although this same universality in human behavior does not likely apply to holidays such as Christmas, that is not to say it does not pose the opportunity for this type of new beginning. Many saints in the Catholic tradition, such as St. Gemma Golgani are documented as having utilized the frequent festivals and feasts in the Catholic liturgical calendar to set a new path. This type of need for new beginnings is built into the human experience. Unlike the angels, we are not created in such a way that we achieve our final destination in one single choice. Rather, our lives are a series of choices, both good and bad. And you will do bad. But what about free will, one may ask? Especially in light of recent inventions to catch criminals before they commit the crime through statistics, this is an especially pertinent question. There is a Latin phrase in the medieval tradition that goes like this, Posse non picare, non posse non picare, non posse picare. If that sounds an awful lot like just rearranging of words, it in some way is. What this phrase is describing is the nature of the human will in the three main stopping points in the history of the universe. There is the prolapsarian state, or pre-fall in the Garden of Eden. There is the post-lapsarian state, after the fall in the Garden of Eden. And then there is the life of the blessed in heaven. In the first location, in the Garden of Eden before the fall, it was posse non picare. It was possible not to sin. In the second location, after the fall, it is non posse non picare. For those familiar with Murphy's Law, 
which says that anything that can go wrong will go wrong, this may have some basis in this theological principle. Much more can be said here about why this is the case, but it likely does not take much introspection to see this statement as probably true. In the third location, in heaven, it will be non possipicare. It will not be possible to sin, because our wills will be fixed. Again, much more can be said here, especially about the known exceptions to these rules, namely the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Apostles after Pentecost, to name a few. Without getting too far adrift of the main issue at hand, the importance of all this is to say we need to make amends frequently, and holidays offer an impetus to actually do so. In general, humans are indeed also creatures of habit. We wake up and likely go through a similar morning routine day to day. In fact, most of our days are likely spent going through a series of habituated actions, commuting to work a certain way, eating food at a certain time, talking to certain people, and so on. Holidays offer an opportunity to break up the routine, which is indeed a good thing to do when that routine has become detrimental to one's well-being. There are many other benefits that are not necessarily theologically centered. A reprieve from the toil of everyday mundane labor, the opportunity for fellowship with family and friends, and time for general leisure and recreation. But the first main question that needed to be answered was, is this actually a practice seen in Scripture? Are there any feasts or holidays established in the Bible? Indeed there are, as anyone researching the Jewish calendar will discover. The month of Nisan centered on the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb and the Paschal Feast. The month of Er centered on the second Passover, yes, there was more than one in the calendar. The month of Siwan brought Pentecost, yes, the Jews celebrated it first, Tishri brought the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, and the month of Adar brought the Feast of Purim. These previously mentioned months and feasts are only the most prominent ones, nearly every month has some occurrence laid out in Scripture, if the Christian faith is supposed to perfect the Old Testament, is a mere paltry one or two feasts considered perfecting? Much more can be said about these Jewish feasts, and in fact, this is the place and time to say at least some more on the topic. The Hebrew calendar, although filled with many feasts, centered on three principal ones, the greatest of which, according to Philo and Josephus, two notable ancient writers, was the Feast of Tabernacles. During this festival, one would live in booths of branches and foliage in commemoration of the time the Jews spent wandering in the wilderness. Although most skim over this part of Leviticus, should they tackle a Bible in a year challenge, reading through part of this passage from chapter 23 will aid in the understanding of this feast. For a whole week every year you will honor this observance, making it a law at all times and everywhere. It is to be kept in the seventh month, and for seven days you will live in arbors, the whole race of Israel will become tent dwellers, to remind those who come after you that I bade the sons of Israel dwell in tents when I rescued them from the land of Egypt, I, the Lord your God. This series of verses is remarkably similar to the motivation for a new holiday given by Pope Pius XII in his Apostolic Constitution promulgated in 1950 titled Munificentissimus Deus, which defined the dogma of the Assumption of Mary and established the connected feast on August 15. To quote from the relevant section. When this liturgical feast was being celebrated ever more widely and with ever-increasing devotion and piety, the bishops of the Church and its preachers in continually greater numbers considered it their duty openly and clearly to explain the mystery that the feast commemorates, and to explain how it is intimately connected with the other revealed truths. In other words, through a feast, people are given a special opportunity to reflect on a particular event or truth. Most people do not sit down and read medieval theologians in their spare time, although it would be truly wondrous if they did. But they do have the opportunity for learning through action, which a holiday or feast gives the opportunity for. In fact, similar to how the readings in a Catholic Mass on a feast, such as on Christmas, will reflect the nature of the feast, 
the law of the Torah was read before all the people during the Feast of Tabernacles, based on a command in Deuteronomy chapter 31, possibly another section most people skim over in the Old Testament. The other Jewish feasts, not to mention this one, have rich histories with much theological significance, but lest there be no time to spend on the New Testament, we must now consider the question of Christmas. It is remarkable that in the very earliest days of Christianity, the Jewish, and basically human, practice of celebrating feasts was continued. The famous Quartodeciminism controversy of the early Church was in fact a debate over when to celebrate Easter, a feast in itself, not if to celebrate Easter. In some of the earliest Christian writings, such as that of Irenaeus of Lyons, a Greek bishop living in the 2nd century AD, and Tertullian, an African writer also living in the 2nd century AD, they include lists of Christian feasts, such as that of Pentecost. Although they do not include Christmas specifically in their feasts, the very practice of celebrating holidays is rooted in what the earliest Christians did, and slightly later lists of feasts, such as in the writings of Clement of Alexandria from the 3rd century do include it. To take this a step further, a history of the Christian tradition will map on neatly onto the history of feasts. As new theological insights were discovered, and new occasions for annual celebration occurred, just as in Genesis chapter 1 the entire Jewish calendar was not set down, a multiplication of Christian holidays occurred, including not only Easter and Pentecost, the two earliest feasts, but then Epiphany, Christmas, Feasts of the Apostles and the Blessed Virgin Mary, Feasts of New Martyrs, and special regional feasts. So in conclusion, Christmas and other holidays are not contrary to Scripture, but in fact are encouraged by it, as seen in the rich Jewish history of feasts. And there is indeed motivation for observing Christmas and other holidays, because on a basic human level, we need these events. Although we did not dwell long on the topic, a quick Google search will reveal why we need them from a mere secular perspective, as articles such as Why Taking Vacation Time Could Save Your Life by Forbes and the Importance of Vacations to Our Physical and Mental Health by Psychology Today make clear. So, celebrate Christmas, and maybe use it as a time for some theological reflection and vacation. All blog posts. All podcast episodes. (laughs) 